Welcome to Open Plaza, a podcast created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode, we focus on a topic that matters to you, whether you're in the field, the academy, or the clergy. Today, we bring you a conversation between Dr. Jacqueline Hidalgo, Dr. Elias Ortega Ponte, and Dr. Santiago Sabotsky on Jessica Krug, academia, gender, and the desire for otherness. For more information about today's talk, go to htiopenplaza.org. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in to our second podcast in which we discuss the case of Jessica Krug, a white Jewish tenured professor who publicly claimed to be black for much of her career. She's since resigned. Um, And in our first podcast, we talked about what that case illuminates for us about the entanglements of identities, especially Jewish, black, and Latina, Latino, Latinx identities. Today, we're going to examine the ways that the Academy enabled Krug's menstrual performance, and especially what her gender performance says about the ways that the Academy categorizes Latinas. Hello again, I'm Jacqueline Hidalgo. I am a professor of Latina, Latino, Latinx studies and religion at Williams College, where I currently serve as Associate Dean for Institutional Diversity, Equity and Inclusion. And I'm excited to speak again today with my colleagues Santiago and Elias, And I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves briefly. Santiago, why don't you go first? Hello, everyone. My name is Santiago Slavotsky. I teach Jewish studies at Hofstra University, where I hold the Florence and Robert Kaufman chair. Uh, And I am actually very happy to be talking about this issue with you today. I am uh, Elias Ortega, and I have the pleasure of serving as president of Nicole Lombard Theological School. And I also serve as a professor of religion, ethics, and leadership. And the school is is located in Chicago, Illinois. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you both, Santiago and Elias, so much for joining me today. Um, you know, of interest to me, and one of the places I, I thought we could start is the academy and its strategies of categorizing people while refusing to challenge its own white supremacist norms. How has it managed to create a space that? rewards this sort of minstrel show that Krug put on without allowing space to have the kind of conversations about more complicated entanglements and histories that Santiago pointed to. And I was wondering if you both from your different institutional spaces might be able to speak to that. I mean, you're a president, Elias. (laughs) I don't know what you can say about that, but like, you know, what you know, what are the ways that the, the Academy has both, both made her minstrel show possible and made other forms of entanglements in some ways impossible to express? Let me start, I think, in terms of uh, my, my current role, right? I think uh, there, there's one of the things that changed from being um, a faculty member, right, into being an administrator is um, how we understand the, the freedom of speech, so to speak, uh, right? In other words, uh, the kind of words that I said and how I move in the world is not solely representative of my own opinions, right? But in some ways, they become representative of the ethos of the school, uh, right, that, that I represent in my case, uh, Midwell Lombard. And um, I'm going to say as a Unitarian uh, Universal School, right, which we are in the middle, right, of a, of a deep conversation about uh, race um, and um, anti-black racism, right, that folks are paying a lot of really close attention 
right, on, on the ways in which I, I, I perform and the way I lead, uh, what I say publicly or not. Uh, for me, one, one of the biggest changes is, uh, in addition to that, is that I tend to be a person who likes to work more behind the scenes, right? I, I, I connect folks, uh, introduce folks, um, try to find ways to move um, resources into, into uh, folks who need them in a way that I am not the, the center stage. And being in, in this particular kind of public role now, uh, some of the spotlight by, by default becomes on you. And I think that, that comes both uh, with, with a deep weight, but also um, a responsibility and an opportunity, particularly as an educator, to see, to, to say what are the, the new ways of, of thinking, being and acting, right, that we can consider as, as a community. So in, in this particular context, right, I think in, in, in Jessica Krugs is a way in which politics of responsibility, right, play into the space. Uh, and, and what folks consider right to be uh, acceptable behavior. Uh, for example, even in a context now in which most of our meetings happen in Zoom, um, I will never show up to a meeting without having you know an, a nice press shirt, a, a bow tie, and a suit. Right? I think that's uh, it's expected right of me. And in fact, I have even folks who who kind of jokingly ask, uh, "Do you actually have a shorts on, or you have real slacks?" Right, and in some ways, it's like, do I have to stand up and show them at least my jeans or my slack? Right, because I know that's what they're thinking, so I'm already ready <laughs> to. So I have my, my jeans or, or my slacks right already on, and and I think that is an expectation, right? That is not expected uh, oftentimes from from other colleagues and in and in other contexts, um, right? But uh, given the body that I inhabit, right, I I assume that's going to be the case. Right? So we come ready. Um, it is also the case, and and I think for 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 me, I can say as, as an Afro-Boricua that I tend to uh, modulate right, the ways in which we, we work and how I perform, uh, in, in which spaces I am authentically right, myself, uh, and in, in which spaces I, I um, bring my uh, professionalized persona right, as an academic and as an administrator. I think the, my, my ethics right, of who I am fully myself influence the, the ways in which I move, but there's oftentimes not, not the same. And I think to uh, for example, how do I express uh, emotions and anger? It's very different. Um, I like to say there is kind of a, a pro-Rican tone shift right? when, when you are anger and you are, you are excited about something, right? That, that you switch it on uh, and you speak in a particular way. If, I mean, if you search, uh, go to TikTok and search uh, Boricua, right? And you can hear uh, the kind of intonation, right? In terms of, of language and excitement and anger. Uh, those are some of the things that I will not do, right? In a particular kind of um, performance, not because uh, I am, I'm not, not being authentic with myself or performing towards whiteness, but in that particular context, right? I will become a threat, right? In this space and then I'm in danger, right? Uh, so I need to be really, really conscientious of, of those particular well, um, modulations. Um, I think in the case of, of Jessica, and, and I, I cannot speak right for, for how he would understand, she will understand this, but uh, one of the things that, that I think also applies to white Irishship is that you can choose how you enter, but also you can choose when you get out right, of this particular conversations. Uh, and I think for, in, in this particular case, right, performing uh, not only that the worst is a stereotype, but also being um, aggressive, it is not as, as risky because you also always have the white exit. Right, that for many of us is not is not present. Right, so we have to be uh, really cautious, right, in the ways in which we move, right, in the world and how we are presented, but also perceived um, as much as possible, not as a performance towards whiteness, but as a matter of, of safety, right, and concern 
right, for, for ourselves, right, and, and those that, that, that actually loves us, right, in, in our false selves. And, and I wonder, right, thinking, uh, thinking through, through, through these particular issues in the academy is the ways in which uh, what a, an, a colonized academy can accept as being um, authentically um, revolutionary or, or progressive has its limits. Right. In other words, uh, it is the limits that can be accepted within the current frame. Right. Anything that is uh, uh, too much challenging, right, or, or, or expensive in other ways, um, is seen as a threat and therefore uh, removed or try to be controlled. Uh, and to give an, an example, one of the questions that I oftentimes received is, uh, you know, what is it about my kind of my, my research in classical uh, sociology has to do right with being Afro-Latino? And, and I said, like, you know, that, that's very interesting because the presumption is then that I'm thinking uh, white thoughts, right? Um, but the understanding that the reason I could be attracted to this, this particular school of thought is because I want to, I like to think about systematic issues, right? Uh, I like to think about systematic foundations. And therefore, that is really intriguing to me because it helps me uh, as tools I can mobilize them to answer particular questions, right, in, in the interconnection between industrialization and capitalism. Right, that impacts black life. Right, for me, it is that simple. Right, but at first, um, that is not clear. Right, in, in the kind of presentation, uh, but when white scholars right talk about their particular context and do research right in indigeneity, in blackness, uh, they're speaking uh, purge is never questioned. Right, it is accepted as being an authority. Right, it is accepted um, and granted that respect. Versus for those of us who are not white, then we also have to both perform in a way that we are seen as being authentic, but also we have to work extra hard, right, to be respected and acknowledged. Thank you very much, Elias, for this. And I have been reflecting for the last few minutes, so thank you so much for speaking before me, in something that actually Elias mentioned and, and actually Jackie also reflecting on. Uh, when both of you mentioned that whiteness is, an, is a, a, whiteness is seductive and is almost an aspiration. Uh, and I have been, keep thinking whether or not, in this case in particular, we can say that for academia, uh, while perhaps back, uh, whiteness is, uh, is a seduction, blackness is a necessity. Uh, and I, I, I wonder, I, I keep wondering about this, thinking about the different experiences I have in different institutions where I was, whether or not in these liberal circles, that kind of portrayal, a almost caricature portrayal, becomes uh, becomes a necessity in order to justify themselves in what they consider a, a, a more diverse world. Not because a diverse world didn't exist before, but now actually they can see it in their lives. So it seems that, you know, uh, such blackness and brownness come to the, the face of many institutions just suddenly in a few years, when people have been probably in the same neighborhood for, for a long time. So let's come back to the idea that if whiteness is a seduction, blackness is a necessity, and what is nothing? what is being invisibilized. And I just think I will talk, come back a little bit to the point I was making at the beginning uh, uh, of this space where we construct certain identities that they have absolutely no historical relationalities. And as such, we are trying to present certain people who could be the ultimate representatives for it. I can speak from experiences Jackie asked about this. In the last 10 years, I have been in two institutions. The first one was in a Christian seminary where I was never Latino enough 
uh, taking into account that the construction of this seminary, which was very progressive, were attempt of making an interreligious, creating interreligious spaces, um, was making my Jewishness in general was not into question by my Latinoness was, because I was a Latino who speak in native Spanish, but I couldn't relate with the normative uh, Chicanoness. A Christian Chicanos of the place. It doesn't matter how many Chicanas, Chicanos, Chicanes actually I mentor, which we are quite a bit. It doesn't matter how many other Latin, Latinos, Latinas, and Latinx actually I was, I was trying to recruit. Uh, sometimes with better luck than others. We're talking about Cubans, we're talking about uh, Puerto Ricans. Uh, I was never going to be Latino enough. And I will pass into this other space where I'm right now. That even though I have been, uh, I have been, I am highly respected. I hold an endowed chair in this discipline. In many occasions, I am never Jewish enough. Uh, that is actually sometimes uh, um, uh, an advantage because that allow me, for example, to be one of the foundings, uh, a founder, uh, associate directors of the Center for Study of Race at the institution. So that allow me for certain kind of flexibility. But every time that there is uh, a dispute, sometimes politically, uh, I am portrayed as never fulfilling the normative perception of what a Jew should be. Uh, and in this, I am going to portray these different identities, and even though some of them are more clearly racially, racial, and some of them have been portrayed in the U.S. as a religious difference without racial implications, which I think historically is a mistake, as Chucky very well was presenting before. Uh, about the, the, um, the relation between Jews and race in the U.S. context, a different U.S. context. Uh, I just want to ask a little bit, going back to this early, early question ask, if whiteness is a seduction, blackness is a necessity, and what is being left out? And who can represent whiteness? Who can represent blackness? And what is left out because they don't fit that kind of portrayals? Can, uh, an, uh, can uh, uh, an Afro-Boricua represent blackness? Can a Latino Jew represent Jewishness? You know, and I can keep going with examples once and again. And I think that that is a real problem. And I think, I think that um, there is uh, actually, um, I am very fortunate to have actually wonderful uh, competition partners now who are actually touching a very important issue we haven't touched in yet, which is about gender. And I will ask, for example, can someone who doesn't have a very big belly is not uh, is not um, uh, um, uh, uh, hasn't lost his hair like myself and has a beard represent, for example, Jewishness between institution. So, what is the gender portraits that cross between race, religion, and gender? We actually not paying attention here. So, all what I'm trying to say here is that there is certain seductions that is a whole project of modernity, and there is certain alterities that they are a necessity for a liberal academia, but that necessity forces us into certain kind of very clear uh, schematic spaces that most of us don't fit the bill. So what is the consequence of this? That if uh, the role of modernity is uh, the power that certain structures have about having a permanent control and who is in and who is out, 
Um, the question is whether or not that necessity of alterity is another tool of the same structure to actually um, construct an alterity is palatable uh, to, to, to the desires. Uh, and they are going to be using it in order to restrict access as has always been using it. I think there's a lot in what you were saying. And there, there are so many things that I wanted to talk about here because I think, you know, there, there is exactly this, this piece about the sort of alterity that is desirable and that is consumable. Um, and, and also the ways that I think, you know, some conservatives have responded, not just to this story, but to others about how there are benefits in the academy given to uh, minoritized folks, especially to Black women. And I'd say that, you know, most scholars observed, like anyone who thinks that she got benefits by, you know, to the extent that she was actually perceived as a Black woman um, are really missing the point here. Um, they really don't understand what was going on or, or what was working. And, and, and one of the things that, that really came up for me and, and, and why I want to like turn to this gender piece is that in talking to my friends from high school, I learned that one of my friends who is a black woman did know Jess not in high school, um, but actually afterwards in the early 2000s in Chicago in an Afro-Caribbean dance group. Um, and through her, I wound up speaking to one of her friends, Amanda Holman, who was pointing out that even as late as 2009, Jess Krug wasn't passing as Black in her private life. She wasn't performing as Black in her private life, but perhaps participating in Black spaces to study them, to learn from them, to exploit them in some way. We, we don't know for sure. But there's this way in which she was specifically taking up a stereotype of particular gender performances, both in the performance that she was doing and in the, in the story she attributed about her mother. Um, and, and I think that this is a sort of interesting question also. Why is she performing especially this version of Black womanhood that I think, Elias, as you were pointing to, you know that Black women can't perform in the academy in many fundamental ways. Um, yeah, um, Elias, I just see you nodding and I wanted you to jump in. So I'm going to wrap up and be like, yeah, what, what, what was going on with this performance of Black Puerto Rican femininity um, as a stereotype? I wish I have a clear answer to that because it, it is it is really problematic. You know, I think first, you know, I want to point out for me as a as a cis presented male, right? Uh, I, I will answer that question uh, carefully, right, and understanding that my answer is not um, complete and in anywhere, or perhaps even approximating the full complexity, right? I think those are that, that is a particular question that the Afro-Caribbean women, right, um, might be will be better equipped to, to answer. But I think uh, if I can uh, make some gestures, right, so towards a possible answer uh, is, I think it is possible because there is a reality oftentimes not, not acknowledged 
um, in the activist communities in which um, male leadership is praised in ways in which um, female and queer leadership is not. And I think we know this, uh, those of us who are movement scholars know uh, that, that the role, right, there is an indelible mark uh, and weight bear by uh, women leaders within movements that are not recognized, that are not given the, the, the space. But in particular, uh, communal context um, also carries a particular kind of weight of networking, right? And uh, in some ways, um, you know, earn respect, right, in, in communal spaces. Um, and I wonder uh, whether or not, right, part of, of the reality uh, is that in spaces like, like in New York, right, in which particular uh, uh, Black women activism is also uh, so strong right, and powerful um, and respected, whether or not that provided a particular kind of opening, right, for, for that to take place, right, to be able to, to appropriate, right, a particular kind of, of identity uh, to have um, access in particular spaces to feel um, respected. Now, part, I think that that also ought to be framed in ways in which, you know, the academy being so uh, masculinist, right, by direction, uh, femininity and womanhood is always uh, uh, downplayed right, and rejected and undermined. Um, and, and I wonder for, in, in her particular uh, case, um, whether or not being able to perform the, the choice to intentionally perform uh, blackness in public versus maintaining whiteness in private spaces, right, was a way to kind of play into uh, both uh, the really exploit what we can say in public uh, right fragility, right? There, there's a ways in which uh, right fragility work in particular spaces in which you can make particular claims and, and you get a little bit of a, a respite, uh, even if it's illusory or just for a time being that in private spaces was not necessary. Um, I also think there, I wonder whether or not there's also playing into uh, sexualized stereotypes, right? In which, uh, you know, brown and black womanhood become uh, something to be desired and really exotic, right? Um, as an object of the male gaze that might also be at play, right? In, in that kind of performance, right? So I wonder uh, whether or not that is also part of the drive right into her work um, again i cannot speak for her right or i cannot speak for black womanhood and, and afro latina womanhood or queerness but i think um, my hunch is there are some of those dynamics right very implicit into how um, this work it is also the case right that there are some ways in which whiteness uh, consume uh, particular kinds of, of, of culture uh, cultural markers right identity um, ways of dressing and moving as a way to um, perform um, attractiveness, um, uh, exploit some sort of um, perceived erotic capital right into, into their own uh, white performance uh, that I think is also at play in, in this particular case. Yeah, and I, I think it's a really, for me, it's an interesting and problematic tension about the stereotypes that she was exploiting in her performance in conversation with to the extent that she did materially benefit from people believing she was a black Puerto Rican woman. She benefited from spaces that black women and 
um, and black scholars and Puerto Rican scholars have fought so hard to create, right? She was a fellow at the Schomburg Center, right? Named for a prominent Afro-Puerto Rican scholar, um, you know, and she was participating in these Afro-Caribbean um, dance communities that were created by black women um, as spaces of, um, of nurture for themselves as spaces mm -hmm. that allowed them to, to thrive in other ways. So to the extent that she did materially benefit, she did benefit by exploiting the work that a lot of black women, black scholars, Puerto Rican scholars had, had put into creating spaces um, and that she was able to do so in some ways by performing a product that um, could be desired and consumed. And I think that was a sort of interesting, an interesting tension for me here. And in some ways, the, the overperformance, right, of just the, the tropes was also the thing that really brought to relief, right, that the nature of, of the lie in, in and of itself. Right? Uh, it comes to mind particularly the ways in which she was playing into the accent um, right, and not quite getting it right. And this was a, such an important point that Jackson brought up in her piece. The New York Times acted like that was a Latina accent when it was so obviously not, but their, you know, their own inability, and this is sort of Jackson's point, to pay attention to the actual particularities of lived experience <laughs> rather than their own sort of assumptions and stereotypes about what, what what Black Puerto Rican women look and sound like in the Bronx. And how they do in their multiplicity, right? Uh, in many ways, it's important. Well, and I think that was, you know, returning to Santiago's earlier point as well, that sort of like way that the Academy creates these categories of which there is an ideal representation of that category and then people who exceed that ideal representation, therefore, can't uh, can't quite can't quite fit uh, in in certain ways. I just want to see if there's any if there was anything else, Santiago, or you wanted wanted to add. Uh, at some point, there was a question of how do we, you know, um, Afro Latinos particularly can can enter in, into some particularly uh, black spaces. And, and I think I would say my experience, uh, that in itself is it's, it's something that I approach with a lot of care and tenderness, right? Understanding that, that in some places, my, 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 my presence uh, can be, can create um, a particular kind of uncomfortable space, right, for others, because it's, it can be perceived um, that I am appropriating or entering into Black-only space while not being black and being brown, right? And, and I think my position has been to uh, enter into those spaces very carefully and understanding that at times, uh, even, even um, as a Latino, there are particular black spaces that is better for me uh, to not be in, in those spaces out of respect uh, for, for the work that is happening, understanding the ways in which anti-black racism really operates in the United States. And I think for me, that is a very um, personal decision uh, as a matter of, of, of the ways in which I, I move in the world. Um, but but, it, but it's, it, is, it is very real. 
um, I think. Uh, and it's also the case that then in uh, Latinx spaces, where there's a, uh, the opposite also applies. My, in, in, what, in what ways does my blackness then exclude me from particular kinds of conversation um, or, or particular kinds of spaces in which, you know, brownness uh, is the operating norm? Yeah, I, I, I want to thank you for that, because I think that's a powerful note to wrap up on, which is not so much to think about, which is maybe to think about how the completely unethical behavior and the complete lack of self-reflectivity and how she inhabited space is part of what led to Krug being outed. Um, and it is also um, we're thinking about as, a, as an ethical question moving forward and what ways have, um, have Latinx communities and in what ways have Latinx scholarly communities especially, but have Latinx communities participated in anti-Blackness in such a way that that made it a safe haven for her to adopt that identity, perhaps a safer haven than other places might have been. And yes, I think for me, that's part of the, one of the, the questions that I wanted to tackle when I was really working on my dissertation. There are some ways in which how do we over-prioritize mestizaje um, is a way that oftentimes exclude uh, the ways in which blackness operates. And the complexity, I think oftentimes, mulataje um, right, is added as, a, um, as an adjective right, uh, or as a signifier without a particular context. Um, and I think that's been uh, problematic in our work and it's something for us to, to really look, look deeper. Thank you both so much for all of the valuable insights you shared with me and I really appreciate you taking the time. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides these podcasts as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.